Welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Martin Thomas. Join me and my guest speakers as they discuss the journey they've had with their own voice, as well as light bulb moments, stories, and personal wisdoms. Vocal Freedom is a bi weekly podcast raising awareness about vocal health and well being from members of the voice community. I'll be speaking with professional singers, actors, choir directors, voice teachers, voice disorder experts, singing voice specialists, touring singers, and other experts. Welcome to another episode of the Vocal Freedom Podcast. My guest this week is the lovely Rebecca Mosley Morgan. In her early career, Rebecca won scholarships to the Royal College of Music and Opera School and sung professionally at Glyndebourne, WNO and Opera 80, amongst others. As a soloist, she's performed throughout the UK, Europe, the Far East and the USA. Rebecca is currently Chair of Education for the British Voice Association and she's currently involved in research work with colleagues at the BVA on vibrational therapy for vocal fatigue. She's recently been offered a residency at Snape Maltings to pursue a new research topic based on old and new approaches to breath management. In addition to her busy voice studio in Oxford, she gives workshops throughout the UK on the functionality of the voice, voice science, tips and techniques for choral singers, maintaining the mature voice and breathing. She's an adjudicator for the International and British Federation of Music Festivals. Rebecca has a MA in Musicology and is currently nearing the end of her PhD research at UCL. Her research investigates what interventions can maintain the functionality of the mature female voice. Findings from this study are statistically significant and support the hypothesis that the vocal competency of the mature female singer can be sustained through effective pedagogy. In addition to her research on the ageing voice, Rebecca has over 30 years of experience with training this age group and her research supports what she has observed in practice over the years. So welcome to the show, Rebecca Mosley Morgan. Thank you very much for joining me on the Vocal Freedom podcast. I'm going to kick off with a first question, which is, how would you describe your journey with your own voice? A happy one. Yay! <laughs> Very happy. Um, yes, um, that's the quick answer. I suppose you want me to say a bit more, really. But um, thinking back, um, I started singing at school. Uh, I was at a very seriously academic school, um, very pressured with work. And singing was an absolute joy. We had a lovely music department. Um, we could hang out in the music department. So any opportunity to go and sing, we had several choirs. Um, singing used to get us all sorts of, of added outings. We used to join in with London-based things. So very, very happy. Um, very uncomplicated, really. My voice then was a, a light soprano. It just worked. It did the things I wanted it to do. I had a lovely teacher. Um, so... Yeah, very joyous experience, really. Excellent. It sounds very organic and you had those wonderful opportunities in your school life. Did you come from a musical family? Not especially, no. My mother could play the piano a little bit. Um, my father uh, had a nice quality of voice, but he wasn't terribly good at singing in tune. <laughs> um, 
Yes, we, he was a little bit of an embarrassment if he was singing in church loudly. <laughs> um, uh, I did find out later that actually there was a musical gene on my mother's side of the family. Um, my great aunt apparently could sing and, um, and her sister, obviously another great aunt who died sadly at 21 um, of scarlet fever. That would have been back in around about 1920s, something like that. Um uh, was a concert pianist or was a concert pianist in making and was due to go to a conservatoire. Hidden away in the family sort of attic of rubbish that I think every family had. Uh, I can remember as a child coming across a great package of her music. Um, oh. And I, I must have been quite young, but what I didn't know what it was. Mm. Um, I didn't recognize it. I must have been about three or four um, and I was like, what's all this strange stuff? You know, my mother sort of explained. And then up, shortly after that, I guess I must have had some piano lessons because then I understood what music was yes. <laughs> to look at. Um, but yes, that was that was the story. Lovely. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, sad for, sad for her, though. I mean, to have that. Yes, yeah. it was very common at that time. It, it was a killer. Mm. So you sang at school and you had all these opportunities to... Um, to learn um, at a young age from a fabulous... I mean, it's lucky, isn't it, to get a really good teacher really young because I think a lot of the teachers um, that were on offer when I was growing up, there wasn't a really good music programme in my school. We had a music department and I did used to hang out there pretty much all the time. Um, but, yeah, I think it really does depend where you grow up and what, what your local authority has to offer. And, of course, these days, lots of, lots of schools don't have so much of a music programme now. So mm. how did you develop that? Um, further when you you came to sort of study as a, an older student um my last two years at school um I had a new teacher lovely Liz my teacher who'd been at the Royal College of Music herself um and was absolutely full of it and buoyant and enthusiastic and anyway she thought she spotted something in my own in my voice that um was worth worthwhile pursuing and so she persuaded my parents to allow me to audition for conservatoire, um, much to the annoyance of the school that had me down to um, study law, um, be a barrister, and wanted me to do the Oxbridge exams. Um, so I went and did the rounds of auditions, and I won a scholarship to the Royal College of Music, and I was kind of like, just bowled over. I'm like, wow. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Let's do this. And I loved the, you know, going to the college and meeting people there because it hadn't been long since my teacher had been a student there herself so she was introducing me to everybody and I was I was just completely gobsmacked with it all I want I just wanted to be part of it oh wow um, my mother was always very keen for me to do whatever I wanted and my father was very old-fashioned and said it really doesn't matter what she does because she's just going to get married and have babies in the end anyway so just <laughs> let her do so <laughs> So that was it. So I, I started, um, yeah, left behind academia for the time, for the moment anyway. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and for that moment in life, I did come back to it. Um, but um, uh, yes, yeah, started a very happy six years at the Royal College of Music. That's wonderful. And of course, and then you, you have a performance career and lots of um, That's right. experience yes. from um, that too. Uh, after my time in the opera school, I went straight into work with Opera 80, um, that's now become English Touring Opera, and um, 
toured around this country, very happy experience doing that. Um, partly just getting to know our country, going to all sorts of places that I, I would never have visited otherwise. Um, moved on, moved on through all sorts of other work, working with World of Gilbert and Sullivan, um, Sadler's Wells Opera, finally going to um, Glyndebourne. Um, I think I was there three, four years and then on to Welsh National Opera. Wonderful, wonderful. You must have some wonderful memories of... of, of... Lovely, yes. Very special memories of those times, yes. Did you have any favourite venues that you got to perform in? You know, in terms of the acoustics that you get in these fine opera houses sometimes, did you have any mm. places that you loved? To be honest, I can't really say I did. Um, I think um, as a touring singer I was more impressed by the facilities backstage <laughs> you know we, we had a job to do and it wasn't in our remit to question whether the whether the acoustics were nice for us or not yeah. we, we just had to get on and deliver um and some of them were pretty grotty backstage I don't think it would be um, <laughs> very political to <laughs> name names to name and shame of yeah I don't know I do I do how I will say however I do remember doing a tour around the Netherlands and by comparison, their theatres seem wonderful. Ah, you know, yes. Green rooms and, and um, nice cafes backstage and lovely, clean, modern facilities. Yes, we're not, we're not, we've been around a bit longer, I think, maybe. We just we expect, have, yes. to, yeah. In fairness, our, our <laughs> theatres are very old and they, they have atmosphere. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'd like to ask you if along your journey, if there was, if anything happened with, where you felt, I wish I'd learned this sooner? I wish I'd learned just to accept that my voice was my voice and it was unique in its own quality and everybody wasn't going to like it and, um, and not waste time thinking, oh, why didn't I get that job? What, what has she got that I haven't got? It's just wasted energy. Mm. You just have to learn and do the best you can and believe in your own power to communicate. And I think that's what makes an artist special. Um, just that really, Any, anything else, wasting energy on, on thinking, can I try and make my voice more like this or more like that is just wasted energy. I think you just concentrate on being as good as you possibly can, being as well prepared as you can, putting your own imagination into it and just not trying to copy anybody else, just trusting in your own originality, I think is probably what I would say. That's a wonderful answer. Thank you. That's Thank you. <laughs> it's a really, you know, it's very insightful because they, this, these are the things that we often want to, um, our students to learn um, from yes. our experience and from, from what we've experienced and what we find as our light bulb moments or things that have helped us. But but then we also need to give them enough room to find out for themselves and, and learn um, in their own way as well. So it's, it's an interesting paradox. But I really, yeah, I, that's a wonderful answer. Thank you. Um, so moving on to light bulb moments. And this could be within your teaching career or personally. Um, so either working with your own voice or with other people's voices. Do you think there's anything that, that, you've, that you hold most valuable in um, teaching voice? Um. I think um, I was thinking about this question before when we spoke earlier and we were talking about light bulb moments. And I think I've identified two things 
Um, so um, I was well into my career. I was in my mid thirties. I started having children and we had a tragedy. Um, in, well, we, we had a tragedy in that I lost two babies, but then also having had two babies, one of them became very, very seriously ill. And this caused me to have to stop singing. And um, I nursed him for five years. It was considered that he was terminally ill. Um, another, this is off of, of, of sort of not relevant really, but he was considered um, terminally ill. And in fact, he's become one of two children who spontaneously recovered from an incredibly rare illness. So that was going on in my life. So that meant that I really couldn't sing. Um, I, I stopped singing. We actually had to live in a bubble. And at that time, without singing, I learned what it was that my voice and my singing and my music meant to me. And I realized that I was grieving for that loss. And um, I think that's helped me understand now with my passion of working with the aging voice and people come to me and they're fearing that and they're worrying about losing their voice. And I absolutely understand that yes. um, about that process of, of this fear and the grief that can associate that. And I've also seen it happen with, with young boys as well, when their voices change. Um, and they too can, they don't recognize it, but they go through a sort of grieving process of, of losing that, that lovely treble voice particularly the ones that were superstars in, in that field. Um, so that was one of them. And the other one was, and this did also come out of this sort of time, was that whilst I was living, I say again, in a sort of lockdown, really, because we were living in a bubble so that um, my son wouldn't pick up any germs. Um, and so the only people that came to the house were the older people. I couldn't have children in the house because children normally are sort of super spreaders of germs. Um, but I could have the more elderly population um, that kept themselves safe and understood that they weren't to come if they had colds. And so this is how I started teaching and teaching the older voice. And I very quickly realized that they didn't understand a single word I was saying to them, ah. that I understood how my own voice worked. Um, and I'm a very kinesthetic learner. I'm, I'm, I am slightly dyslexic. I have odd ways of learning. And almost anything that anybody said to me made perfect sense, that gave me an image, um, worked with me kinesthetically, made perfect sense and improved my singing. Most of it was complete rubbish. <laughs> um, you know, the sort of image, um, things like rolling pins through my head, through my head and, um, oh, the sort of image, typical images, let your voice dance along the picture rail and and all this sort of thing. So anyway, I was churning this out to my my new you know, new teaching base, my new students, um, and they looked extremely confused. <laughs> um, not surprisingly, yes. Um, and so really, it was at that point I I started to learn about the voice. I joined AOTUS and I joined the British Voice Association. Um, basically started learning um, whilst I was at the British Voice Association. I made contact with um, Ginevra Williams, who was just at that time completing her own PhD on um, the um, children's voices. Um, and she introduced me 
to various very exciting books to read, Johann Sundberg's book, and introduced me to her supervisor. So then I started my journey towards doing a PhD, but it was a, a long, long journey of, of slowly learning and building up, doing courses with any provider that was around really. Um, at that time, there was nothing like um, Debbie's, Debbie Winter's courses. Um, it was the British Voice Association were offering the very best that there was available at the time. And they were really about the only provider. We have so much choice now. There's so much availability. It's much easier. But um, yes, that was the absolute light bulb moment that I just had to learn how this worked as an instrument. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's fantastic. And of course, then you can use your knowledge in a much broader context with lots of different types of singer, can't you? Yes. Yes. Well, that was that was really what I had to learn was. I wasn't teaching people to sing like my, like me. They they have different apparatus, and I had to learn how to identify what they were doing that was possibly unhealthy or inefficient, and learn the tools to be to help them correct what they were doing, and get them to be better singers. Yes, um, trusting my ears particularly. So I know that um, one of the reasons that I um, learned about you in the first place was when I um, saw you, I've seen you at, at various BVA things over the years anyway, but didn't really know you. And then we first sort of spoke at the Ken Bozeman course a few years ago. Yes. And uh, it was, um, you know, and I've seen you obviously a few times since, and then you spoke at one of the Voice Geek conferences. And I thought your research project into the aging voice was fascinating. And I'd love it if you could sort of tell our listeners a bit about what your journey's been with that. Yes. Um, well, as I'd said previously, the people that I started teaching were all older people. And what um, I noticed, I, I wasn't at this initial stage doing any research. I was just trying to learn how to be a better teacher. But I noticed that what I was doing with them was making them improve. Um, and so then when I did start learning about the voice, um, particularly um, anything from the medical literature about what would happen perhaps as the voice got older, and it was very slim, um, the literature back then, it's, it's been growing all the time, but it was all doom and gloom and, and people were saying, oh, this, this is going to happen, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to hit your high notes, the voice is going to get shrill, it's going to get breathy. Um, and this wasn't what I was observing amongst my own students. So then I started thinking, OK, so I need to do some research onto this, because by then I was getting used to that world of academia and loving it, actually, because of my school background. So I thought, how am I going to do this? So I thought, first of all, I need to do a master's. Um, because, of course, I'd been at the Royal College of Music, so I had no formal um, qualifications. At the time I was at the Royal College of Music, what is now um, would be um, an undergraduate degree, a BA, was I only left with a basic diploma. Um, so whilst I'd been at Welsh National Opera, I'd actually done um, a BA just for interest because um, <laughs> I needed to fill my time touring, but that's another story. So by at this stage of my life where I wanted to know more about the voice, then I thought, okay, first step, I need to do a master's. Unfortunately, 
Debbie hadn't started her master's course then because that would have been the one I would have gone for. Okay. Um, so I did a degree in musicology with the Open University and they were brilliant actually. In fairness, um, they taught me very good research skills. Um, and when it got to the dissertation stage, they allowed me to use it to do the pilot study of what was then going to go on to be a PhD study. So that all dovetailed in quite nicely. And that it really was sort of, it seemed to be on, on the cusp of, of what was possible. But there's a branch of musicology known as organology, where you look at um, structure of, a, of, a, of an instrument. And so I was able to take an organological view mm. of the voice. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> so, so that was the first step. And then I went on to work with Graham Welsh um, at, it started off as the Institute of Education, but it's now merged and it's now part of UCL. Um, I'm writing that up currently and doing it part-time meant I had the opportunity to do a really long study of voices um, over the six years um, that I've been working. Um, and really some amazing results. So one of the things that the literature typically reports that is going to fail as the voice gets older is respiratory function. And I don't dispute that for a moment. I can't obviously dispute um, scientific evidence. Um, however, there's very good evidence that if you keep yourself fit and exercise, your respiratory function will improve. Um, so a lot of very good evidence has come out of sports science. So the exercise, the, the test that I gave them to do to test the respiratory function over the years they did it showed improvement in almost everybody. Um, so significantly, statistically significant results to show that that can improve. Um, with the exception of one or two people who had had very, very specific problems, people that suffered from things like bronchiectasis, um, uh, that kind of thing. Um, so that was very exciting. Um, the other day, much of the other data, it's, this is ongoing absolutely currently. I'm, I'm working on this at the moment. You mentioned Ken Bozeman earlier, and I've, I'm working, I've had an idea of working with him on looking at some of my data through Voce Vista and looking at where the harmonics lie and the formants lie. And from that, a kind of reverse engineering back into what would be happening in a voice that's producing those results. Ah. So it could be, it could lead to an interesting new tool uh, back up to the singers, to a singing teacher's perceptual judgment. Um, is what I'm working on, but uh, this absolutely is hot on the press. I'm yes. I'm uh, working on this as we say, as we speak. Yes, um, and I'm quite. I'm really very excited about it because it's it's not been done yet. That's fascinating. Um, That's wonderful work. I hope when you've um, you've expanded that more, you'll come back and talk to us about your findings. I would love to. I would yes. be delighted. Yes, please do. Um, the other thing they always say is that the the vocal range will um, you'll lose the top of the voice. Now this was very interesting. Um, I recorded everybody's um, maximum phonational um, limits, 
um, every every session. And what I noticed is the people that worked at their voices efficiently and kept working at it, what was happening was although the fundamental frequency of the voice was getting lower as they got older, the top didn't get, didn't, they didn't lose the top if they mm. really worked at it. So the total range of the voice was getting bigger um, because they were adding on low notes. There was the odd extreme example where one or two people, one or two of my sopranos that had previously managed to get up to top C suddenly developed top Fs, which was extraordinary. Wow. I don't quite know what was happening there. Um, I, I think because they were working at their voice, they somehow managed to free up their muscles sufficiently so they could access their whistle voice again, um, which I haven't done for years. But um, I need to look into that in a bit more depth. But so the, the basic data set I've got is really interesting and lots of information is coming out of that. That's fascinating. Um, and and you were you're taking this into your PhD. Is that finished now or you, you're still? No, I'm in the writing up stage. Cool. So the the um, um, data collection is now finished. Um, and literally I, last weekend I, I redid um, Kenneth's course again. Um, and I'm setting up tutorials with him to talk through what I want, what um, I'm hoping to achieve, working on that particular aspect. But there's lots of other stuff um, in the data that um, I've got to analyze. That's incredible, um, incredible work. Yes. It's so very valuable. Now, talking of value, what have you found most valuable in caring for your own voice? Very boring. Vocal exercise. Diet, sleep, not too much booze. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is well, kind of... you know, a lifetime mission to show that you can drink wine and sing well the next yes, day. Yes, of course we can. Absolutely. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's very true. I'm, I've, I've been a singer who's been on the road um, and touring is very tiring. Um, but of course, you can't treat it like a holiday and be going out you know, clubbing after a show and enjoying yourself thoroughly and being completely wasted because the next day you've got to either be rehearsing for the next next stint of whatever's coming up um, and also you've got a show to do that night that people have paid for. So you have a real responsibility to keep yourself on form. Um, a typical day when I was um, touring would be, um, generally I would sleep fairly late, around about 10, 10.30, so not super late. Um, I used to like to get up, um, have a decent breakfast, um, do a fairly thorough vocal warm-up first thing. Um, well, you know, mid-morning. <laughs> yes, first, th first thing to a working singer. Yes. Um, a good half hour, 45 minutes, depending on, on what had to be sung, and then cooling the voice down. Um, and then do something different. Um, I used to eat my main meal always at lunchtime because I didn't like to eat before singing. Um, so probably I would either head out or if I was in digs where I could cook, I would cook for myself. The afternoon, early afternoon, I'd maybe do some exercise. Um, I, I nearly always used to find, you know, we could sign on to gyms and things. Most theatres had arrangements with local gyms. If the weather was bad, otherwise go out for walks, um, runs, swims, all of that. And then about four o'clock in the afternoon, um, 
I would put myself to bed for an hour or so to have a little snooze um, and then get into the theatre and warm up again, whatever was required. You know, there may have been, you know, five o'clock rehearsals, that sort of thing. Yes. It sounds ready for the show. Um, but yes, discipline was the key. Definitely, definitely. Very key. And and of course, some of the people listening to this podcast may be thinking about going into a career as a professional singer, whether that's in musical theatre or opera or or um maybe more of a recording artist view. But yeah, there's a lot of work involved. And I think that's yes. the thing people perhaps aren't always aware of is actually how much it's hard work. It's hard physical work. Mm. Um I think the hardest work is the final rehearsals, maybe the last couple of weeks of rehearsals before a show opens. And typically I can remember um, three session days. Wow. Um, you know, so you'd be on stage at 10 o'clock in the morning, possibly in full costume and makeup. So that meant being there a good half an hour beforehand um, and not finishing till 10 o'clock at night. Wow. And then coming back in, getting home and getting back again to repeat. Um, those sort of days were exhausting. Of course. Um, were you, do, were you um, the companies sort of looked after in terms of um, vocal health in those days? You know, w- would you have had a, an MD that would have been... Um, no. No, no we, really, we really weren't. It was up to us um, to, to take care of our voices, to have our own teachers. Um, a lot of the repetiteurs were very good. Um, they, were very, they were very knowledgeable. Um, by the time you actually got to work with um, superstar conductors that came in, they just expected you to know what you were doing. Yeah, of course. You know? Yeah. It was just all about the music. It's uh, that wonderful I, That's world. probably changed quite a lot now. I mean, this, this was um, kind of in the 80s, 90s, turn of the millennium, that sort of time. And, and I think we're much more aware now. Of, of singers' voices. Definitely. Here's a biggie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what does your voice mean to you? I think, well, it's very much part of my identity. Even now, though I don't perform, I feel that everything I do now stems from the fact that I was a singer, a professional singer. Everything I've learned, everything I use, comes from that um, and so without that without that tra- initial training and and work I don't know what I'd be now um, lost probably yes <laughs> that's it um, I can elaborate if you want me to say yes more on yes that. please I, I'm yeah. just thinking about it really as I go along it's quite a tough um, question because we can get very philosophical about that or we can we can yeah um, even even now, um, I will sing quite a lot, and particularly actually in lockdown, um, I sing even more. And it's a huge pleasure just to sing for yourself. Just you know, I use backing tracks and all the u- all the new gadgets that I've got used to using, um, and it's a lovely way to spend an hour or so. I can sing through all my favourite Schubert songs, or you know whatever, just simply for my own pleasure. Um, and without that, I think um, my life would be much poorer. Without with just just doing that, just simply for my own pleasure, gives you such a lot. Singing is is cathartic, and 
um, it gives you an understanding of all this beautiful music and to have an instrument that you can play it on. I suppose it's similar to owning a really amazing, um, perhaps a Steinway piano or a Stradivarius violin. Um, it's, it's having something that can create beauty is very is special and and say I don't I don't perform very much now so it's just for me it just gives me pleasure and it's so good for us it's so it, our own well-being so and expression good for us, yes it li really lifts the spirits you know having a good sing is is amazing for lifting your spirits fully fully agree with you on that completely good but would there be anything that you might want the listeners to hear are there any recordings that you've done over the years of 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 a favourite Schubert or something that you enjoy? Um, yes, on my website, there are two recordings of um, recitals I did. Many, well, when I was working, obviously, so when I was at the top of my game, and those are on um, my website, which is inspectorvoice.co.uk. Amazing. So we can send our listeners a link to that and they yes, can go and have a yes. listen. Yes, I will say that the website is under reconstruction it's still it's still up there but i am working on it because i want very much to be um getting out all the research work i've been doing and the work for the for the, the aging voice um so but i am generally known as inspector voice and that's my website so that. that's the work to look forward to that will be coming out of what i'm doing now but yes there are recordings with them um, um, the particularly the one that I did whilst I was at the Royal College of Music or just at the end of that time with my very wonderful pianist Brian Evans who was just the most special accompanist to ever work with oh wow that's amazing yeah. so that, I'm sure that I'll, I'm definitely going to go and have a nose there that sounds wonderful <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've got a twofold question now so I'd love to ask you what voices mm. inspire you and who could you never tire of listening to? The first one that came to mind was Joan Sutherland. Ah. I remember, um, again, going back to school days, we had a record library that we were allowed to browse in. And there was um, one record, and I remember seeing it now, it was much smaller than all the other records, and there was only three arias on it. And it was Joan Sutherland. Um, she was doing the Traviata aria. Um, and I think it was Casta Diva. Um, I can't remember what the other one was. And I just used to listen to that. I must have worn that record out. Wow. I used to listen to it over and over again. I just thought I, I just completely fell in love with her voice. And I, I just thought it was so amazing. Um, you know, if, if I could have been anyone, I would have been Joan Sutherland. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, look, I will, I'll, I'll see if I can, um, but, you know, put a link to one of her recordings on YouTube or something as well. So people can go and listen to one of those inspiring. Yes. Arias. Yes. And in fact, one of my most special moments when I was at, um, at WNO was we actually did a recording. Um, I'm just trying to remember. I think it was, it was Enarni um, with Pavarotti and Joan Sutherland. Oh. And Pavarotti kissed my hand. Oh, how exciting. Yes, I've never got over it. Oh. He's still my beating heart. Yes. Um, yes, and, and Pavarotti is, is probably my next most favourite voice. I, and it's not about their acting ability on stage or anything. It's just simply something 
in the quality of their voice that I could just listen to forever. Yes, yes. Pavarotti, absolutely. Yeah. Master of, of his instrument. Um, yes. And especially some of the, you know, those very famous recordings. Um, I mean, I, I, I didn't grow up listening to, I did grow up listening to some classical music, but I never went as far as classical voice training. So the, um, my knowledge of it is not expansive, but I do remember when the three tenors came out and it was, you know, it sort of came a bit more into, um, you know, commercial society because my mum was saying, oh, I want this album for Christmas. And, you know, we started yes. to listen to more, yes. of, more of those voices in the house. And I was always fascinated with this big, booming tenor sound and how, yes. um, you know, just how vibrant it was. It's probably one of the things I regret that at the time when I was growing up, there was a real divide between classical music and contemporary music. And if you showed any musical talent at all, you were pushed down the classical road as the only proper way to do it. Mm. Um, and even in my own household, um, I was the one doing it classically and my brother played bass guitar. And that was just, oh, he's, he's just playing rubbish. Uh. And that was, that was the way it was looked at. And I hugely regret that I actually know very little about contemporary music. Um, I've probably learned more about it in the last 10 years than I have throughout my lifetime. I do, however, love jazz. I've always loved Ella Fitzgerald's oh, voice. Yes. Um, and I'm very keen. I go to a big jazz festival in France. Um, I, well, I haven't been... I'm not going this year, obviously, mm -hmm. but I've been for many years um, that has most amazing jazz musicians, um, people like Wynton Marsalis. And, but I do regret that, that that was that was very much as it was at the time when I was a kid. Um, and then once I got into the world of, of opera, there really wasn't ever any opportunity to to do anything other than keep working at what I was doing. Yes, it makes sense. I think that it does speak of a certain time and um yeah and definitely the idea that that's the proper way to do something is to do yeah. it the classical way well this is where um, pedagogy has improved so much so we now know you can get somebody to sing in a ccm style and there is a pedagogy that goes with that and if the voice and the larynx and everything are working perfectly healthily you can change that function from one to the other. And I have heard people that can do it absolutely seamlessly. Yes. Um, and brilliantly. And I'm, I'm quite envious of that. I wish I'd been, wish I'd learned how to do that when I was younger. Do you feel it's very healthy for the voice to do that? Absolutely. Do you feel that you could, um, you know, sing along with Ella Fitzgerald though? Do you feel that you'd find that? Oh yes. Oh yeah. I can, I, I can actually do jazz singing now. I've learned how to do jazz singing. My, um, of my three sons, one of them, the youngest one, plays jazz piano. Um, and can I digress and tell you a little story? Yes, please. Um, <laughs> um, well, one night when we were at this Marciac Jazz Festival where we were camping and we were working as volunteers. So I, there was, a, everybody mucks in and makes music every night. It's, you know, it's just the whole town is alive with music. And um, I was keeping myself to myself and the youngsters were sort of sitting around the campfire making music with whatever they had. Um, and they said, oh, what a shame, we really need a singer. Um, anyway, my boys said, oh, mum's the singer. Um, you know, I'm like, no, no, you don't want me, don't want me. 
Um, and I said, I don't, I don't know any of this music. I don't know how to do it. And they're like, oh, come on, you've got to come out and do something. And, and they, they gave me the confidence to think, actually, you can just scat, you can do what you like, you can, blah, 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 blah. Mm. And, and that just got me into it. And that was so liberating, having been a singer that worked with the dots and suddenly to think, actually, throw all that away, just listen, just let your voice go, go where you want it to be. Um, so that was amazing. But um, I say my, my son, um, he um, is a, a jazz pianist and composer. And so uh, we have some lovely jams home here at Christmas. And, oh, and, I love that. That's, yeah. that's wonderful. It does. I mean, and I can only imagine how liberating it must be to work with the sort of improvisation of the jazz, um, sort of yes. jazzier techniques when you have been very drilled to follow the dots and, and sing in this um, operatic style that has its own exactly. <clears throat> fine art to it, you know, amazing. So is there anything coming up you would like to... Um, tell our listeners um, where they can find out more information about you and your work. Um, there will be things coming out in the near future when I finish my PhD. Okay. Um, and as I mentioned, I am redoing my website. I'm working on putting together the sort of exercises I teach people for the aging voice. Um, I'm putting together workshops and um, talks about about the aging voice and I will eventually be bringing out a book as soon as I finish my PhD so <laughs> amazing um, lots and lots of exciting yes. things coming up for you so I don't have anything that I can say you can go and see today I am however if there's anybody that with uh, anybody whose voice is getting older that has any concerns I'm very happy to answer emails um, again I'm inspectorvoice at gmail.com um, obviously within reason, I'm very happy to answer emails. Please don't send me hundreds yes. of time, but yes. I doubt we'll have hundreds of listeners to begin with anyway. I've just literally launched the podcast yesterday. Yes. Um, well, I hope it's hugely successful for you. Thank you. I am hoping that, um, I, I'm just thinking I'm going to put it out there and suck it and see, and just, um, it's, it's a, it's a journey that I want to go on and hopefully the members of my voice community will, will be interested. And, and if I can, if they can learn from listening to the others, you know, the people that are the guests that I'm talking to, like your good self and get more of an insight into the voice industry to help educate them. So I think I, I got this word from Tom Burke, who said edutainment, um, <laughs> edutainment, as in <laughs> the sort of hybrid of something that's educational, but also entertaining. Um, so that's mm -hmm. the road I'm trying to go down with yes. this podcast. Yes. Actually, yes, that's a good word. I can see that. <laughs> Edutainment. <Yes. laughs> um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So um, thank you very much again for your time today. And I really hope that, you know, the world starts turning in the usual way before too long, because it would be lovely to see yes. you again in person. And uh, yes. of course, we can see each other online. And um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to later in the year, hopefully bringing you in to run a masterclass for my students and uh, that would be a huge pleasure yes thank, thank you. you so thank, thank you very you. much for your time thank you for joining me on the vocal freedom podcast i hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll move into your day with a bit more vocal freedom feeling that you can express using your voice and let the world hear what you have to say
visit colchestervoiceacademy.com forward slash podcast. Sign up to be kept informed as new episodes are published and consider joining our online community. Membership to this will allow you to post questions to our guests, link you to show notes, social media links, and entitle you to exclusive offers from our guests. See you next time.